Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Recent years have seen the number of female medical students surpass male medical students. However, it was not many years ago that female physicians were uncommon. My guest today started her career as an RN before becoming a nurse practitioner and ultimately a physician. Her career in cardiology came with a number of firsts. Prepare to hear from a true physician leader. Let's begin. My guest today is Dr. Joan Thomas. She is a retired cardiologist who practiced in Rochester, New York, and she is also the author of the heart of the story, my improbable journey as a cardiologist. Doctor, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. So I'm, I'm interested. Tell us your motivation for writing the book and why did you choose the, the subtitle, My Improbable Journey? Well, I was actually prompted by friends that, you know, we would meet every morning after we'd work out at the gym and we'd have coffee and We'd all be talking about our issues, our careers, our, you know, you tell stories. That's, that's what it's all about. And we'd all go on to work. And one day, one of my good friends just said, you know, Joan, you, you have just got to write your memoirs. Your stories are fascinating. And, you know, some are funny, some are crazy, some are, you know, um, uh, sad. And, but, but they're so interesting, you really need to write this down. So I started thinking about it for a year. I was kind of transitioning from full-time practice to part-time. And, and, uh, and finally, you know, and at first I said, well, who would want to, who would want to read about me? And, uh, but he encouraged me to keep thinking about it. And I said, yeah, maybe I have a story to tell and maybe I can help the next generation of young women get interested in math and science and, be encouraged to try medical career and go into cardiology, maybe that would be the ultimate goal. So, so, uh, so yeah, and the improbable journey is because I grew up in the 50s and 60s, pre-Title IX, when, you know, a guidance counselor in the high school would tell all girls that you could be basically a secretary, a nurse, a teacher, or a mom, stay-at-home mom. So those were really our options. We weren't ever asked or encouraged to think outside the box. So, um, so it's the improbable journey. It's cardiology and being a physician at that time was, you know, almost unheard of for a woman. Let's talk about some technical parts of the, the book and the process. Uh, can you give me some details around publication and how did you decide on the way to structure the book, how long did it take you? Maybe give us a little bit of the background of how the book actually came together. Yeah, sure. I The first thing I knew when I decided I would want to write it was that I couldn't be the writer. You know, I have everything in my head um, and I know uh, all my background and I know the dates and I know every the timelines of everything, but no one would want to pick up and read the book if I wrote it. I'm a scientist, I'm a physician. I needed to, to have someone that could put it into prose so that people would be like, 
oh, I want to pick this up. Oh, I can hardly wait to get to the next chapter. So I knew I needed that person. So I started searching for a writer. Um, and I finally found the right one, who's an English professor at the University of Brockport, Rochester, and teaches writing and had mm -hmm. written uh, books and articles on her own, had been previously a journalist in California. And uh, we met. And it turns out, coincidentally, we didn't know it at the time, we met right before COVID. Um, and um, we, I signed on with her and we started writing and then COVID hit. So oh, wow. um, we thought it would take about a year and a half. It turns out it took a little over two years and I think mostly probably because of COVID. So a lot of our meetings ended up having to be um, on the phone, two, three hour conversations on the phone, long distance. I mean, you know, early in COVID, we didn't even have a vaccine. So we didn't even want to get together. Sure. Um, so it, it was a lot of conversations and a lot of work on the on the telephone. And then finally, once we were all vaccinated, we could get together again. So, yeah, that was that was sort of how it all started. Did you enjoy the process of working with a writer? I did. I did. Actually, Sandra and I became friends during that process because we spent so much time together. We had a lot in common and uh and we really enjoyed the process and got to be friends. And, and this became kind of a, a best, vested interest for both of us. We both wanted this to succeed. So Nice. Doctor, in your leadership journey as a, a physician, you chose cardiology. When in your training did you choose cardiology? And can you tell a bit about that, that decision? So when I was four, I had acute rheumatic fever. Um, and at the time in the fifties, you know, about a lot of people didn't survive having that. So we didn't know it at the time. My brother and I were both sick about the same time for over a year. Um, and when we went through that process, we came out on the other side. And afterwards, when we were older, my parents said, well, they told us with 50, 50 chance, whether your son and daughter would survive or not. Um, obviously the outcomes were good for both of us. And then, you know, I always wanted to be a nurse after that. So that kind of drew me to the healthcare field. And then, um, so I went into nursing and I started working at the hospital. And within a year, I ended up in the cardiac care unit. So that was the intensive care unit at the time for people having heart attacks. So I, uh, I loved it. I worked with cardiologists and it kind of, so I knew from then on that that probably if I ever went on to med school, it would be the path that I would take. So cardiology always fascinated me. You're a member of the AAPL, and you also uh, obtained the, the status of CPE, Certified Physician Executive. Can you describe your leadership training there? And are you pleased that, uh, you, were, uh, that you pursued that credential? Yeah, I think my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. Um, and uh, I, I became chief of cardiology at our healthcare facility in 2007. And um, I wish I'd actually pursued the, the, uh, the CPE degree a little bit sooner, but um, it, uh, it took about two to three years to take all the courses, 150 hours of communication, management, ethics, law, finance, you know, every aspect of uh, 
the physician executive degree. It, you know, and it's so important because doctors, when you go to medical school, you learn to treat patients, but you don't learn about how to run a healthcare system. And oftentimes healthcare systems are run by non-physicians and they have a business background instead of a, a medical background. And um, so the goal for the American Association for Physician Leadership is to teach more physicians how to run the organ, how to run healthcare systems. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, part of that process wasn't just taking courses. I also, and it wasn't enough that I was chief of cardiology. They said, no, you got to do something else. So I actually became vice president and then president of the medical staff at my institution for two years. So going to board meetings and representing all the physicians at our hospital. So um, that was another layer before I could get my CPE degree. So um, I'm very happy that I got it. Um, I was in my early 60s by the time I retired or by the time I got that degree. So I thought, well, maybe I could become a chief medical officer or chief, you know, um, quality officer. But those opportunities tended not to come up. But what it did help me with was becoming a better chief of cardiology. I learned so much getting that degree about communication with my colleagues, um, my employees uh, that I had. So it, it, it uh, it really made me a much better chief of cardiology and a much better communicator with everybody. So, so you mentioned that you wish you would have pursued it earlier in your, your career. If you're giving advice to, uh, to younger physicians, when would you advise them to consider doing the CPE? Well, my career was 30 years. So, you know, and I, I was over 20 years into my career. I think if I um, you know, I was 17 years into my career, so a little over half by the time I became a chief of cardiology. But I was already on committees before that, so I was becoming more, more active. And I think when you first start your career right out of training, out of residency and fellowship, you really need to build your practice. And part of that building the practice is to gain the trust of not only your patients, but your colleagues. And to gain that respect. Um, and then once you've got that, because there's a lot of learning that happens in the first, so I would say, five, five or six years of building a practice. I learned probably more some weeks than I learned when I was in training. You know, things are constantly changing. Cardiology is one of those fields where things change rapidly. Um, and so you really have to constantly keep up. But I would say that, you know, after you've got your feet on the ground, you've built a good practice, your colleagues respect you, then you can start looking to branch out and be, take some leadership roles, maybe a little bit at a time, getting on some committees and then kind of working your way into it. So I understand that there's a WIC or, or Women in Cardiology section of the American College of Cardiology. Could you describe what the section does? Is it a mentoring or advocacy or, or what exactly is its mission? Yeah, initially the American College of Cardiology, which I've been a member of for many, many years. And 
when we take our board, you all be you become a fellow of the American College of Cardiology. So we all are are longtime members. And within that, the women in cardiology first came up and was kind of informal, but it finally became a recognized full chapter of the American College of Cardiology. So it's a very active group of women and some men uh, cardiologists. And we meet every time we have national meetings, we have state chapters. Uh, we encourage uh, some of the women in the different state chapters to go on and become governors of those, not governors of the state, but governors of the, of the uh, uh, state chapters of the American College of Cardiology so that women play a role. But at the meetings, we talk a lot about how can we get more women interested into going into cardiology. And it, at the at, and I still stay very active in that, even though I'm retired. And, and I, I felt when I was writing this memoir that me writing it, I wanted to reach out to a lot of these women, whether they're in college, whether they're thinking about medical school, whether they're partway through medical school, not sure what to do, or if they're in residency programs, not sure where they're going. You know, we, we encourage them all and we get all different levels coming to our meetings and, you know, they ask a lot of questions. So what we've noticed is that there's kind of a leveling off of women coming into the cardiology, maybe about 15, 16, 17% of all cardiologists are women. When I became a cardiologist in, in 1990, it was only 5%. So it's risen up to about 15, 16%, but it's not, it's not going up like you would hope it would, that we could get more women interested in that. So a lot about what we talk about as you know, faculty is how can we get more women to come after us? How can we get more women interested in this wonderful subspecialty? Well, what, let's, let's stick with the, the young women physicians for just a moment. What two or three suggestions would you give to, to a young female physician as she's beginning her career? Well, I mean, if she's, I went through internal medicine residency and out of that, you can go into any specialty you want. So a lot of people, when they come out of medical school and start residency is not, they're not sure where, where they're going to ultimately end up. So in internal medicine residency, you can go into cardiology, oncology, pulmonary, hematology, I mean, infectious disease. There's many, many choices. We would like to see more women choose cardiology and, and uh, as, a, as a field. So, you know, I would encourage women to get up, you know, to really look around and spend some time taking electives in cardiology because uh we're one of those fields that there's that you can be invasive, you can be interventional, you can be non-invasive, you can be in testing, and cardiology is constantly changing. The pharmacology is changing, the testing is changing, the procedures we can do to help patients uh, live and live with good quality constantly changes. So it, to me, it's a fascinating field. So I'd like to encourage more women to stick their toe in the water and say, I want to look into this. So, you know, taking more electives and, and working side by side with some other cardiologists, wherever they're doing their residency is a, is a good starting point. 
it's interesting that you mentioned that the the number of of women going into cardiology is somewhat plateaued in recent years. Why do you think that is? Yeah, we we talk about that a lot. I think it's multifactorial. Um, uh, part of it, I think, is cardiology has a um, a background of being, at least in the past, of being a lot of call. You know, patients can come in critically ill and you really need to go in. And early in my career, I was on call every third night. So mm -hmm. we were on call a lot and you had to go in. And so a lot of women, if they want to balance um, career with having a family and that kind of thing, I think that makes a lot of women shy away. Um, another reason I think women tend to shy away is, and this was actually published in an article in the last year in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, that cardiology is one of those specialties that could still be a hostile work environment for minorities, which would include women uh, as well as racial minorities. So um, that's something we spend a lot of time about. How can we get beyond that and, and make it a, a welcoming place for women specialists and women cardiologists to work? Someone along those lines, doctor, in, in your book, you described the inequities that you faced in an academic medicine career because of, of gender. Do you think progress has been made? Yeah, I think there's a, a more women becoming promoted now. Is it a level playing field yet? Absolutely not. But I think we have made progress. So my efforts and my, I shouldn't say struggles, but my uh, seven year, I, I had about seven years to get promoted. And, you know, that became kind of a mantra. I, I would, wanted to, I knew friends who had done the work and been refused promotion. And so I said, I am going to have a CV so good, I dare them not to promote me. Um, and at the end, I had more than I needed in order to be promoted, and they did promote me. And it's going to take more people like that to persevere and say, so that it makes it the path easier for the women coming behind us. But I, I think we are making progress. Now, early in your career, you were, you mentioned you were an RN and, and a nurse practitioner. And I'm interested in your comparing the experiences with um, the struggles or, or the discrimination that you, you faced kind of in, in terms of amplitude and, and frequency, how it varied between your roles as a nurse, nurse practitioner and in physician. I didn't face much discrimination as a nurse because back then most nurses were women. Um, there was definitely a hierarchy at the hospital. So most of the physicians were men. Uh, the vast, we had, we were teaching hospitals, so we had residents and fellows, uh, most of them were male. There were very, very few women. Um, there was only one or two women surgeons in the whole hospital. Um, so there was a hierarchy, but I didn't really feel much discrimination. As a nurse practitioner, it was such a new field. We were pioneers, and I would say more Vast, the vast majority early on were women going into these fields. But I had two mentors, who both of whom were cardiologists, um, both men, and they were extremely supportive of me and knew 
felt that I was bright enough to go to medical school and just kept pushing me along. And then, so I said, well, I'll become a nurse practitioner and then see how, we'll see how it goes. And then I was working as a nurse practitioner and doing clinical research uh, with big research grants with pharmaceutical firms where, and I would come up with results and then have to go speak at a national meeting um, about some of the research I was doing with the cardiologist. And all this time, the cardiologists were saying, Joan, we, we really think you should go to medical school. So they, I was happy to have any mentors at the time. They weren't women, but they were certainly, uh, they had my best interests at heart. Very nice to hear. I want to talk a little bit more about your, your book and some accomplishments that are, are listed in it. And again, for our audience, the, the book is The Heart of the Story, My Improbable Journey as a Cardiologist. And, and the book goes into detail of not only your, your, your training and your, and your fellowship, but also your various academic uh, appointments. Now, looking back retrospectively, what accomplishments are you most pleased with? Clinically, I think I was pleased with how my patients felt about me. I think that would be the number one asset. You can talk about, well, I mean, I was pleased to become chief of cardiology, but it's the patients, the, the, the honor you have to feel where the patients put their trust in you. Um, and I think I understood that better almost near the end with a lot of the letters that I got when I was announced that I was gonna retire. Um, but I had patients were, that I would have for 10, 15, 20 years and, you know, we'd be on a first name basis and we, you know, a few of them, you would become, you know, a little more friendly, but it, the, the, the trust that patients put into you is just the highest honor I think a cardiologist can have. But then I think being the first chief of cardiology that I knew about in New York state, and I, I looked it up afterwards because I certainly had no role models to look at when I became a chief of cardiology. Um, that was that was a proud moment, um, and to have vied for the position with other male candidates, um, and to have gotten the position that people had enough trust in my ability to become that. So that was, uh, um, I think, that was a great accomplishment in my career. I was pretty proud of that. Getting my CPE degree. Um, was certainly a, a great accomplishment as well. But I think one of the things as I became a better chief of cardiology was winning over cardiologists who weren't happy initially that I was their boss. And over the 12 years that I was chief of cardiology, having them, having earned their respect, I think was a huge accomplishment. On their part to accept me, but on my part that I won them over. Um, and you do that by, you basically do that by one patient at a time and one conversation at a time, you know, winning over their trust. I always felt as a woman cardiologist that you have to be better than my male colleagues to be considered as good. And I worked really hard to do that and I, you know, felt like I accomplished that. And I think I won over naysayers in the beginning that gave me a great deal of <laughs> controversy and tried to make my life difficult, hoping that I would fail. 
Um, and in the end, I won them all over. So I think that was a huge accomplishment. Absolutely. Dr. Thomas, we're almost out of time, but I am sure that there are people that are uh, wondering what you're doing nowadays. Um, well, I am volunteering at Volunteers in Medicine in Hilton Head, which is a 10,000 patient clinic for the um, working uninsured. And uh, it's a very active clinic that we have. And um, so I work there a half a day a week. And, um, you know, in my spare time, I play some tennis and golf and try to stay physically active. And, um, uh, you know, around here, I, uh, in our community, we have other retired physicians, but we find that a lot of our friends come to us for medical advice. So nowadays I'm giving out free medical advice. So that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, it's, uh, um, it's, it's a big change, but I really, really enjoy the volunteering. How, how very, very nice. underserved population. So very nice. Good, good for you. My guest has been Joan Thomas. Uh, her book is the heart of the story. My improbable journey as a cardiologist. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. My thanks to Dr. Joan Thomas. Her career in cardiology is a good example of physician leadership. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.